Okay, I will read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending a brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Thanks, Winnie. Thanks for reading that, especially that word superfluous. That's a great word to have to read out loud in public. <laughs> so I appreciate that. I love the public reading of Scripture. You know, the Bible tells us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. So that's a, that's a big deal. And, you know, that's why we want you to get in groups. We, we've got groups starting. You know, with this fall kickoff, we've got a new message series coming up. We've got these new groups coming up where you, you get in. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible, how little you know about the Bible. You need this place where you can learn how to study and apply the Scriptures to your life. In addition to just doing life together with others, there's something. So, hey, after the service, head outside. We got a place set up where you can meet a lot of the group leaders, network directors, find a group that's right for you this fall season, and they can show you how to navigate the online group community as well. You know, um, here's a topic of universal concern. Everybody is concerned about money. Right? We, we want to know how to make more money, how to keep our money, how to save for retirement, how to get out of debt how to be more charitable. So, uh, hey, it, it, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, whether you're a Christian background or not, I think this is gonna be a, a topic of some interest to you today. But, but we're gonna be seeing what God has to say about finances because money is a very spiritual matter. Uh, why? Because it's God's stuff. I mean, everything we have belongs to him. We're entrusted as managers or stewards of his stuff and he wants to make sure that we're using it in the way he wants to use it well. So I think more is actually talked about in Scripture about money than just about anything else. It's a very spiritual matter. So our strategy here is if you want to become more like Jesus, we have these next nine, this strategy of developing as a disciple. And one of those nines is being generous because you can't really be like Jesus without being generous. So we value joyful stewardship. 
And we practice generosity like the early Christians did. But I want you to relax because this message really isn't about giving. It's more about how we give. It's, it's about how we handle finances in an accountable way, um, how we administer it and conduct ourselves, whether you're the giver or the receiver. Because when we give our offerings to the Lord, I mean, it's to the Lord, but it's through the church. Specifically, it's through this church, South Point. So how should our transactions be conducted in a way that has integrity and it honors God? And that's why Paul is writing to this church in Corinth because he was urging them to give this special offering to the Lord that would benefit fellow believers. But Paul was the one receiving the offering, and he wanted to assure them that everything was being done properly, above board, with integrity, above suspicion. He's guaranteeing that he's going to handle these funds rightly. Because let's face it, we're pretty, we're pretty suspicious these days about anybody asking for money, right? You, that, that we've seen all the people on the corners holding up the cardboard signs, and we're suspicious that if we give them some money, they're just hustlers, they're grifters, they're not really in need, they just don't want to work. Or that person sitting on the sidewalk downtown. We're suspicious that the, whatever money we give them, they're not going to spend it on food, they're going to spend it on drugs or, or booze, right? Even people coming to church asking for help, we're suspicious that they're just going church to church looking for easy freebies so that they can continue to spend money on Netflix and iPhone apps and cigarettes, right? Everything's a little sus these days. And so last Monday on Labor Day, I made a post on Facebook and I said, whatever happened to what used to be called the Protestant work ethic? Really this biblical theology of hard work as a noble vocation for the Lord, that we do it for the Lord and we do it to benefit others, which has built this kind of capitalist society where everybody benefits from that work ethic. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone is not willing to work, what? Let him not eat. You don't work, you don't eat, right? And I think that kind of work ethic needs to be taught even more so in this age of entitlement where so many people think they have a right to goods and services to, to get them freely, and that's not biblical. I mean, we, don't, we certainly don't trust the government when it comes to giving them our money, that they're going to use it rightly. We know they're going to they're gonna waste it and mess with it, squander it and misuse it. We're suspicious. We're even suspicious of charities these days, right? We're, that if we give money, is it just going to go to the CEO to make him richer? Or is it going to be spent on all this, you know, overhead and promotions? And very little will get to the person actually in need. You may think, well, that doesn't bother me at all. It really doesn't matter what happens to the money after I give it. Even if it gets wasted, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to get credit in heaven. But hold on. Remember, it's God's money. Do you really think he wants you to use it wisely or foolishly? What if your giving is actually enabling sinful and harmful behaviors? What if you're giving to an organization that will use it for evil purposes? Do you really want to share in that? We all know there's plenty of scams and corruption and people taking advantage of our compassion and generosity. Just not long ago in Southgate, there was a woman collecting funds for the, the band boosters at school and she went to prison for embezzling the money from that fund. In Taylor, over the past couple years, a certain church has been in the news a lot for uh, it, its financial corruption. Former members accusing it of operating with intimidation and manipulation and greed enriching the leaders. 
A while back, I was talking to somebody here who was saying how they, they gave money, sent in money to one of these celebrity pastors on television because it makes them feel good. And I tried to warn him of the idea that you, you realize that this guy you're giving money to is very wealthy. And is that really where God wants our money going to enrich somebody off the gospel so they can live in extravagance? I mean, even some well-known ministers out there, uh, you may be surprised to learn about their exorbitant salaries, no accountability, family members on the board, and, and maybe what sickens me more than that are all the Christians who say that's okay and they defend it. It's not okay. Do you wonder what happens to the money that maybe it's going to lie in somebody's pocket? You need to know where the money is going because yes, there are people out there who will treat the church and God's people as their own private piggy bank. It's nothing new. You, you see the news story, some pastor, some church treasurer skimming money off the offering. It's been going on since the time of Jesus. You realize Jesus' little congregation of disciples had a treasurer. Who was it, you know? Judas Iscariot was the treasurer. And it says he, he stole money from the bag. So, you know, we gotta be careful of that. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. We gotta avoid any appearance of evil by doing everything above board, says, says, look, I'm gonna come to Corinth, I'm gonna receive the money you've collected to help these Christians in Jerusalem, but I'm not coming by myself, I'm gonna bring some trustworthy representatives, people that you know that have a track record and meet the qualifications for trustworthiness, because not just anybody can handle God's money. Paul says, I'm gonna come there with Titus, you know him? You know him well, and he knows you well, and you know how much he's concerned for you, and he wants to come and see you, and his genuine desire to serve you. I'm bringing another guy, too, along with me. You know him well. He didn't name him, so we don't know who he is, but they knew him well as a gospel preacher, which, hey, the point of church finances is we want to make sure the money is going to help spread the gospel to further God's kingdom, and sometimes that doesn't happen. It's important that those who are handling the finances that are on the finance team are making the decisions understand it's not their money. It's because sometimes they'll treat it that way and they'll just hoard it and they'll sit on it and say, well, we want to make sure, you know, that we have, have all this money on hand. They can be a little stingy with it instead of using it to make disciples. On the other hand, there could be those who say, let's just spend it all. And they can be a little bit too uh, freewheeling spending it on frivolous things freely and we got a question is this expense going to help further God's kingdom or is it just something we want to do and it's going to further our own kingdom so on our finance teams we don't want just people who are financially savvy we want people who are mission driven who are passionate about making disciples because the money is to be used purposefully it's not our money it's God's and we're going to stand and give an account to him one day so we got to be careful with it and I'm very grateful here at this church over the years we've had a good balance of people who understand, you know, we're not going to be too um, freewheeling with the money and we're not going to be too tight-fisted with the money. We're going to keep enough in reserves that's reasonable uh, and yet at the same time we're going to spend money on the mission because that's what we're here to do because you, you spend nickel and dimes on things and you get nickel and dime results and it costs money to meet needs, make a dis difference and make disciples. Now, your giving enables us to do all that, to, to do ministry here day in and day out, and to provide facilities, to, to pay our staff so that ministry can be done because without those, it, it wouldn't get done. So that kind of giving matters. It's important. No, it's not very glamorous. 
You know, thinking about, well, my money's going to keep the lights on to pay an electric bill here at church. That doesn't give me the warm fuzzies as much as giving money to somebody in need who has to pay their electric bill. But you know what? If we don't pay the bills and do all that stuff, then the ministry doesn't get done and people don't get saved. People are coming to faith in Christ because of the ministry of this church. It's just going on day in and day out. It's, it enables us to have a staff so that they can have an income and not have to go work at some other job. And if they did, we wouldn't be able to have them here and ministry wouldn't get done. So it's, it's, what I'm saying is it's worth giving to. Just all the day-to-day needs wouldn't get met without that. Paul then mentions, I'm going to bring a third guy along with me. And again, we don't know who he is. But he says, all these guys are apostles. And I don't mean capital A apostles like Peter, James, and John but small a apostles, meaning they were messengers sent out from churches. It was the churches who had selected these guys to to collect the money and to take it back to Jerusalem for a couple of reasons. One is to glorify God. God is glorified when we use money for his purposes. And secondly, to demonstrate their eagerness to help fellow believers, which is a beautiful thing. You think about it. These churches were in Europe on the Grecian peninsula made up mostly of Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, and they're all pooling their money together in this coordinated effort for a relief fund for the Christians back in Jerusalem who are from a Jewish background. And none of that mattered anymore because now we're one body, we're one family of brothers and sisters, and we're there for each other to help That's why we give by grace, not by law. We're not giving because we have to. We give because we want to, because we love God. We love one another. We want to help one another. So, hey, we we wish we could help everybody, but obviously we can't, but we have a priority on helping our fellow believers. In fact, this is what Paul writes in Galatians 6.10. Everybody say this out loud together with me. Here we go. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so within our church, we have what's called a CARE Fund, capital C-A-R-E. It's an acronym. stands for Church Assistance to Relieve Emergencies. So that really does go to help people pay their electric bills and water bills and, and rent and those things when they have a sincere need. We offer free financial counseling by trained leaders. We also do take care of needs in the community. Every week we open up our food pantry and dozens of families get fed with free groceries. We bless other community organizations and charities. And I wanna thank you for most recently, you donated about 100 backpacks to take care of South Point kids and kids in the Flat Rock and Lincoln Park Public Schools. So your generosity made that happen. Look, in the church, We want to be like those first Christians. We look back in the book of Acts and they're sharing generously with one another. Acts 2 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. In Acts 4, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. So there's a real need, we're there to meet it. And understand, this is all voluntary. Nobody's forcing them or coercing them to give. Okay, if you have to be forced to give, it's not giving. They wanted to do this. But you skip over now, by the time they get to Acts chapter six and they're so overwhelmed with the needs of the widows in Jerusalem that the apostles say, we can't handle it anymore. Hey, church, you get together and you choose seven men from among you who have faith in the Holy Spirit and have a good reputation, and we're going to delegate this responsibility for the daily distribution of widows to these guys, okay? 
And when they did, the church continued to grow because meeting the needs of fellow believers is how we demonstrate our love and our faith. It shows we're putting our money where our mouth is. We're not all talk. Because James, the brother of Jesus, says in chapter 2 of his book, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and, and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, well, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But you know, the church is not just another social services agency out here helping to meet people's material needs. Because you know why the disciples gave up? The, the apostles said, we can't take care of the widows anymore. It's it wasn't because they didn't care. It's because we're not doing what we're, our main mission is. We're supposed to be praying and preaching and teaching. And so even our benevolence to the community is purposeful to help meet the greatest need they have that they may not even realize, which is to get right with God. It provides an open door for them to hear the good news. Good works leads to opening the door for good the good news because you know they're not apt to listen to us if they're hungry or they're, they're homeless or they're without clothes so we do both now in, in this series we're talking about how we're helping fellow believers with some finances and uh, in the first week of the series we talked about Jim and Claudia too remember them with Impact Canada and we sent them some funds to help pay their bills and if you missed that, you can watch it online. You can listen to the podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about another believer in an area that we support in, in Romania. Uh, through a mission there, we're going to be helping Melina, who is a 38-year-old mother, who is a very faithful and serious woman. Her backstory is when she was 17. She was four months pregnant, um, married, but went through a divorce. And it was then that she heard the gospel of Christ for the first time and received Jesus into her life. And she began to raise her son on her own with some help from the church, a little bit of help from her family. Um, but she was cleaning the streets in order to make a little bit of money. Now at 24, she met a young man, a Christian man who proposed to her. He already had three children. They got married, had three more children, so now there's seven kids, and then went through another divorce. He left her. He didn't help her financially, and so she's been currently cleaning the streets again for the past five years, which has led her to be now very overdue in meeting her, her obligations to pay rent, maintenance, electricity, water. All those bills are backed up, and, pl and plus she has this broken sofa bed that her sons sleep on that needs replacing. So the church there has been helping her with some food along with Go Impact 360, which we support. They, they hired her on at $50 a week to clean the church. They gave her an extra $50 a month. So $100 a month is still, with the cleaning the streets and all, it's still not enough to meet those needs. So we're going to do what Paul encouraged the Corinthians to do and to send a gift to a fellow believer in need. So because of your generosity, we're going to send her $2,000 so she can buy a new sofa bed, she can pay the bills for the next three months because that's what we're called to do. God blesses us to bless others. And Paul says, look, I got these guys traveling with me. They're here to make sure that we're, there'll be no suspicion. There'll be no unjust criticism. There'll be no false accusations. Because he says, I want to do what's right, not only in the Lord's eyes, but in everybody's eyes, right? We're, we're complete integrity and above 
reproach. Now, you, you never can get away from criticism altogether. I mean, even here, every year we do, we have the members vote on our annual budget. And inevitably, there's, there's always like one vote against the budget for the year. I don't know why, but you know, you, you can never please everybody. But the thing is, we do have a budget and we meet that budget. And I want to thank you for your generosity in helping. We're in good, healthy financial condition despite the decrease in attendance since COVID hit. So thank you for that. We, and we have a spotless record in our church finances. There's not, not, never even been a hint of scandal at this church. Why? Because we have a couple of financial principles. One is accountability. The leadership of this church practices sound and secure financial principles to make sure that what you give is handled properly and spent wisely. We have a finance team made up of financially savvy people and mission-driven people. We have annual statements that are sent out for your tax records. Uh, you're going to be getting one in the mail this week of the year so far. We've had financial procedures in place all along this. Never left anybody alone with the money here it's always there's always at least two people there when it's being collected when it's being counted the security team guards it we have cameras monitoring everything we have double signatures on every church the person doing the receivables is different from the person doing the payables i mean trent is on staff to oversee all the financial procedures our finance team is there to to be involved in the audit as needed our books are completely open with transparency for inspection we receive monthly reports on how every single penny is received and saved and dispersed. So we've covered all the bases to make sure that we're doing everything with integrity. Because you know what? Paul collected a lot of money. And he didn't just stick it in his pocket and say, hey, trust me. He said, no, uh, God knows I'm honest, but I want to make sure you know that I'm honest as well. We don't want anybody to be able to point a finger of accusation against us. And I believed in that from day one, which is why I've kept myself above all those things. I, I don't know the amounts that anybody gives in this church. I, I don't have access to the safe. There's not petty cash lying around because I never want a finger pointed at me accusing me. I've, I've protected myself and I've protected this church. The other principle we have here is responsibility. The leaders are accountable to you, but you are responsible to give. We don't have any outside sources of income. If God's people don't give, it doesn't get done. Simple as that. We don't do fundraising. We don't do bingo or bake sales or rummage sales or raffles or auctions or any other second-tier kind of things that entice people to have to give. Because if you don't want to give, don't give. We're not going to try and prod you with, with gifts and prizes and, and merchandise and stuff like that. Especially don't want that kind of reputation in the community because we don't want something from them. We want something for them. So our big idea is that Christians are responsible to give while leaders are accountable for what's given. And that kind of giving not only blesses others, but it changes you, it breaks the grip of materialism in your life and makes you more like Jesus. And it's going to bless you too, maybe now, but certainly in heaven. You will be blessed. Now look, God's not obligated to give you a dime in payback. You know that, right? But he has said, I will meet your needs. And that's why giving is an act of faith, that God will take care of me. Now, in chapter 9, Paul tries to motivate them to get involved in this special offering by saying, your giving is actually 
spurring on others to give. I mean, you're provoking others to give. So he says, I don't, I don't really need to prod you. I know you want to give. I mean, a year ago, you were wanting to give. He wrote them back in 1 Corinthians. Now, about this collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do, that on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money, how much, in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right, so how much should you give between you and God? Jesus didn't give us an amount or a percentage. He simply said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. In the Old Testament, you know, it's a matter of law. You give your 10% of your income, your tithe, but it's no longer a matter of command. It's now a matter of heart, right? And I can't tell you what that amount should be, but I, I can tell you that we have a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises that Jesus brought. And I know Jesus did not come to lower the standards. He came to elevate them. So I'm thinking we probably should be doing at least what believers in the Old Testament did. I mean, look at this. We have been given so much. We've been blessed in so many greater ways that we want to give cheerfully as we have been prospered. That's why Paul encourages proportionate giving. That's what he means when he says, give in keeping with your income, whatever is proportionate to your income, whatever that means for you. Because look, the point is, God is not asking you to give something you don't have, but to share what you do have. And I'm never going to tell you how much you should give. Because giving like that should never be demanded. It should never be compelled like that. It should never be squeezed out of you like a tax. It should be something you want to give. Because if you don't want to give it, then you don't get credit for it. Paul says it's not by exaction. He means it shouldn't be exacted out of you through coercion or manipulative methods or guilt trips. Right? We give because we love God and we love others. And so... You know, I'm never going to tell you how much to give. All I'm going to tell you is that I'm never going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. I may not be the biggest giver in the church, but I'm always going to strive to set the example for you. Paul also encourages predetermined giving. He says when we show up, we want you to already have the money ready on hand so that we don't have any kind of last-minute appeals that appear forced or manipulated. Right, because sometimes you, you just... When you're on the spot, you only give what you have on you at the time or you give impulsively based on emotion. He says, I don't want it to be like that. I want you to decide ahead of time, here is what I'm going to give. I've calculated it. I've carefully planned it out. I'm doing this systematic giving because it's a priority for me. In fact, some do automated giving because it's a priority for them. He says, guys, I've been bragging on you to the other churches around you in, in Macedonia. You know, and it's, it's stirred them up to want to give too. It's kind of like the penny wars. You remember when you're a kid and your classes are competing in penny wars to raise funds and you win prizes? Well, we're not, we're not winning prizes and there's not a competition. But it's kind of great that we outdo one another in, in doing good deeds, right? We're supposed to spur on one another to good deeds. It's not like to draw attention to ourselves. Oh, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at what I'm giving. Jesus condemned that. But it's good to say, hey, look at what our church is doing. What more could you do to meet those needs? But here's what happened in Corinth. They had decided a year ago to give, but for some reason they hadn't followed through. Don't know what happened. There's some sort of disruption. But now they need a little bit of prodding to get going because they had good intentions, right? You know what this is like. You want to give. You have good intentions to give. But something comes up, right? Or you, you just don't follow through. I mean, and it doesn't get the job done. So I just don't have the money to do it. 
If I had the money, I would, right? It's like, well, what if I gave you a million dollars? Well, then I'd give to the Lord. I'd give 10%. I'd give even more than 10%. Really? Because what are you doing with the 1000 bucks you have now? See, Jesus taught a principle that goes well beyond finances. He says, if you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with much. And if you can't be trusted with a little, you can't be trusted with much. So it, it's easy to make excuses, right? Like, it's not a good time. I got these other priorities that are shoving God to the back burner of life. It's really easier to begin something to, to finish something. And we find that out every January 2nd. We make all those resolutions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You ever have good intentions? Make promises to God. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every morning. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to volunteer to serve. And then you don't follow through. What happened? Did you count the cost? So Paul's giving a little kick in the butt. Maybe you need that today too. Finish what you started. The Macedonians did. Why not you? I'm looking like a chump. Paul's like, you know, I'm really embarrassed because I bragged on you guys. And not only are you letting down all these brothers and sisters in need, but you're missing out on the blessing yourself. Jesus said it is more blessed, what? It's more blessed to give than receive. And you're missing out on the blessing of becoming more like Jesus and sharing in God's grace. That's why I have no problem whatsoever asking God's people to give because I know it's going to bless others and it's going to bless you too. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean it. Uh, it, it. Look, I know not everybody's in a position to give. And if you're, if you're in real need right now, please know we love you and we are here to help you because we understand that when we give to somebody truly in need, that it not only honors God, but it meets needs, makes a difference, and most of all, it helps make disciples. So let's pray about that together right now. Father, help us to be generous people. Help us to, to give of what you've blessed us with, God. Most of all, we want to give so that people can be one to Christ. We pray that, God, you will open hearts through our open hands, that, uh, Lord, we meet material needs in order to meet their most important basic need. That is salvation, God. We pray all that in Jesus' name. And if you're somebody right now who is needing to make an important decision, where do you really stand? You know, I want you to understand that Jesus came and gave everything for you. You know, that's like the gospel. That's John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his son, who gave his life so that you could receive the promises and inheritance of salvation, forgiveness of the Holy Spirit, heaven on top of all that. Jesus didn't have to. Nobody forced him to. He voluntarily gave so that you could receive. And the way that you receive is by giving back your life to him, putting your trust in him. If you'd like to do that today to reach out to us, you can text us, you can email us on those addresses on the screen. If you're at home, you know, call us, whatever it takes. We want to get back with you as soon as possible. If you're here on site, even better, come up here after the service. I'm going to have some friends up here who would answer your questions, who would pray for you, whatever you're going through, financial, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or better yet, most of all, to help you begin a new life with Christ and be baptized today. So let's stand together and let this song be our response to that message. You know, that, uh, that story really, really got to me.